Psalm chapter 19. If you're using one of the black Bibles from the back, you can find the passage on page 456. Wow, this is different up here. I'm used to being on the floor. All right. We are reading God's word this morning. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warmed. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you. You may have a seat. Well, this uh, marks our second week of our series, Doctrine. Uh, This is a 13-week study that we're going to be doing, just of all the major ideas and beliefs of the Scripture, uh, sort of a comprehensive beginning-to-end look at, uh, at what we believe, what we should believe, what the Bible teaches. Obviously, we're not going to get into every possible nook and cranny, but we're hitting some really key and important things. And last week, we began with the study of the Trinity. Who is God? If you're going to study the world or you're going to study what you should believe, it all starts with God. And we saw that God is eternally existent, one person, uh, one God in three persons, um, and that that has tremendous implications for the way we have relationships with one another and just how we understand the world that we live in. Uh, Today we kind of go the next step and say, okay, if, if that's who God is, And we want to know God. One of the verses we looked at last week was from Jeremiah 9. And it said that uh, don't boast in in your riches or your wealth or your power. But if you're going to boast, boast that you know the Lord. There's nothing more valuable than that you could know the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, "Ah, I resolve to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Everything is rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ. Like that's just the best thing you could ever have. And so if we're going to know God, it raises a very important question. How are you going to know him? What's he like? How has God revealed himself? Because if there is a transcendent and infinite God and we're as finite creatures to understand him at all or to understand the world he's created, he has to reveal himself to us, doesn't he? I mean, he has to make himself known. The onus is on God to declare who he is. And so what we look at today is this idea of revelation that God speaks God does, in fact, speak to us. God does communicate to us about who he is and about what 
he's done. This is so key. If you're going to know God, you have to know God in the way he's revealed himself. And God has revealed himself in two ways. And this is what we're going to see right here out of Psalm 19. God has revealed himself in two ways. Uh, These are some fancy terms. Anybody ready for some fancy terms here? It makes you feel smart, doesn't it? Even though you're not, right? I mean, I... We all know each other. None of us are really all that smart. A couple exceptions probably in here. But here's a couple of, here's a couple of terms just for us to know and to understand that we're going to see this right out of Psalm 19 is God reveals himself in two ways. The first way is this, general revelation. General revelation. It's the idea that God has revealed things to everybody generally. Uh, through his creation, especially, there's just ways that everybody can know generally some things about God. Uh, things that you don't have to have a special book, you don't have to have special information. Just the fact that you're here and you're alive and you see the world and you see mountains and you see a human body and you see the stars and you see what God has made, it communicates to you that there's a God. God reveals himself generally. That's general revelation. The second way is this special revelation. Special revelation, including by revealing himself through his son, but particularly special revelation has with it the idea of God communicating himself in a unique way, specifics about who he is through his word. So general revelation, everybody sees just through creation. Special revelation is seen by those who read or hear his word. Now special, just just to be clear here, that doesn't mean like only the special people get to hear the word because because what it is is God is revealing himself through the Bible and the Bible is available to most people in the world not all people yet and it's a great thing to pray for wouldn't it be that God would send people to translate his word and to communicate the Bible into other languages and other places that don't have it but but the scripture information about God specific info is available on God And it's there in his word. Here's maybe a way to think about the difference between uh, general revelation and special revelation. How many of you, uh, got to be honest here, how many of you are on Facebook? Okay, most of you. Okay. So you know that if you're on Facebook, anybody can find you on Facebook. Right? They can see, if they type in your name, that you exist on Facebook. There's generally information that you're there. Now, if you have any sort of savvy about your account settings and privacy and things like that, they shouldn't be able to see anything else. Uh, many people don't, sadly. That's a problem. You should go think about that. But, but if you're on Facebook, you know that anyone can see just generally that you exist. But if somebody wants to know you, They want to know what you had for breakfast. They want to know what funny YouTube clip you just had to share with everybody. And they they want to know kind of what's ticking about you and and what's going on in your life and see pictures of your kids and see all the different uh, bands that you like. I mean, if they want to get to know you specifically, they've got to be your friend on Facebook. There's got to be a, a special level of access granted, okay? So, so general revelation creation is God just saying, hey, I'm here. I've got a page. <laughs> like, like, I exist. Special revelation is God saying, I invite you to become my friend through my word, okay? So that's general and special revelation. And that's just what we're going to see right out of this passage. So let's go into uh, Psalm chapter 19. 
Um, And the passage begins with this idea of general revelation. It starts off this way in verse 1. Notice uh, here in this passage the, the, the verbs that are about communication and speaking. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, it's exactly that song we sang. All creatures communicating, there is a God. And there is a God who's real. And so we can look at the heavens, that's the stars and the sky, and we can see the cycle as it talks about in verse 5 about the sun coming out every day like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. We We can look at creation and see that God has revealed himself, that God is there. Here's a very simple way to think about this. When you see a painting, what's one thing that you would assume when you look at a painting? There was a painter, right? I mean, paintings with their, with their beauty and with their complexity uh, don't just happen, right? They don't just, it just is there, right? It happens because somebody has intentionally and creatively made it happen. Right, we look at this graphic of doctrine and this idea of all these ideas connected and intertwined. And you look at even a picture like that and you don't assume that that just appeared on someone's computer. They made it. So if we're to look at the world and we're to look at the mountains and the stars and the sky. and I, I don't, Any of you who have children and you've been in a delivery room? The overwhelming thing that that communicates is... There's a God. I mean, you're going, honey, how did this happen? This is crazy, right? And their, their body, like they, they, they haven't been, they haven't been breathing air and they come out and it's like, quack, quack. And you know, they spit out the stuff and, then, and they, and you're like, wow. I mean, th- there's a creation that's, that's intentional that works and that's beautiful and that makes you stand back on an Arizona summer night while you wipe the sweat from your forehead and go, that's a beautiful sunset. And all of that is just God communicating that he's here and that he's real and that he's powerful. Now, listen, you can't know a lot about God. You can't know anything from the sunset about Jesus Christ and you can't know anything about the specifics of how the Bible came to be or or, or what God did um, through his people in Israel. I mean, you you can't know any of that sort of thing through, through looking at a baby, but you can know God's here. God is real. Communicates. It's general revelation. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, he's talking about the reason why everybody's accountable to God. There's a simple reason why there's nobody exempt from from being accountable to the Lord. Everyone will die and give an account to the Lord. And the reason uh, comes in Romans 1, 20. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So, So get what Paul's saying. God is saying there are some invisible attributes, specifically God's eternal power... 
and his divine nature, the idea of order and creativity and beauty, these are clearly perceived. How? Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse, he said. Everybody is without excuse. You can't at the end of your life stand before the Lord and go, I had no idea that you were here. Because everything around you in his creation has communicated that there is a God. So God reveals himself first generally. But, but what we want to focus on today and spend a lot of time digging into is this idea that God has revealed himself specifically. And he's revealed himself specifically through his word. And so get your copy of the scripture there. We're going to dig here into, um, into Psalm 19 in just a moment. But let me tell you a couple things about the Bible, just in case you're curious, what is it that you're holding in your hands? What is this? Uh, the Bible is 66 books written by 40 plus different authors on three different continents, uh, Asia, Africa, Europe, over the period of thousands of years with one central message that God saves. So that's the Bible. That's what you're holding in, in your hands. 66 books, 40 plus authors, three continents, thousands of years, one message. That's what it is. Additionally, there are over 14,000 manuscripts of this book. Specifically the New Testament, 14,000 manuscripts. Just to give you a sense of how that compares, if you were to compare that with, say, Homer and his Iliad, which is, you know, a book many of you, any of you read that in school, you had to read the Iliad, right? And there's just no question that this is authentic and this is the real deal. You know how many copies of the Iliad there are? 643. 14,000 of this. You know how many manuscripts we have of Plato's writings? Seven. How about Aristotle? Five. It doesn't mean that they didn't actually write and doesn't mean that they didn't actually do some things. But when you look at the mountain of evidence that is God's word, you, you can clearly see that, that, that maybe if you come in here with, with a bit of skepticism and a bit of, gosh, I, isn't the Bible just a bunch of old stories and hasn't it been changed a bunch over time? And if you have those questions, I, I want you to know, and I can't go into it a bunch, get, uh, get the, the resources that we've made available for this series. We've got a book out there. We've got some study guides. Get those things, dig into those, ask those questions. Here's what I want you to know. All of those questions or concerns and objections have real answers. They really do. And, and, and so if you have your doubts, if you have doubts about the Bible, here's what I want you to do. I want you to doubt your doubts. Think about that perhaps if there's this big book written by so many different people with one message, perhaps your doubts, maybe you need to question those a little bit. The reason the manuscript thing here matters, just, just so you understand this, is we don't have any original copies of the scripture. There's no place where you can find the exact fragment that the apostle Paul wrote or, uh, or John or Isaiah or Moses wrote. You, you can't find that anywhere. You go, well, wait, wait, wait. Then that means it can't be true. Well, you don't have it of any of these other books either. But here's what you do have. If you have a bunch of copies of everybody writing down what the original said, and all these copies are within about 98, 99% of each other, it, it gives you a pretty good sense that, okay, that's what the original was like. 
And, and, and by the way, that, that 1% or so that's different are, are, are none, none that have to do with the central message of the Bible. So the Bible's reliable. I don't, I don't want to go much more into that, but just so you know, you are holding a reliable book. It's historically a reliable book. And we'll post some resources this week on the website to help you understand and, and reflect on that as well as what you already have. But God has revealed himself through his word. So let's dig into this, this passage. What does the Bible say about the Bible? What does God communicate about his word, about his law, about his precepts, about the scripture? We see it in verse 7. We're going to go slow through this. Look at, look at this, this great description of God's word here in verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The law of the Lord means the teaching, or if you've heard the word Torah, the Torah, the teaching, the instruction of the Lord. The law of the Lord is perfect. That word perfect means full or complete or fully orbed. It's the idea that there's nothing missing. There's nothing that you really needed that you don't have. It's, it's thorough. It's perfect. And it's reviving the soul, it says. Some translations have translated that as converting the soul or it's the idea of returning the soul to life. It's this idea that we go through life, don't we? And, and life just beats us up and people are mean and they backstab and they hurt and, and things happen that we just can't make sense of and, and life hurts. And then we go to God's word and this instruction is, is fully orbed. It's what we need and it revives us, gives us life. Gives us a renewed sense of hope and courage and faith and joy. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. It gives life. The rest of verse 7 says this the testimony of the Lord is sure. You know, when you have an eyewitness, uh, one of the things I, I did later or earlier this fall was I had uh, gotten to be on a jury. And you always think it would be cool to be on a jury until you're on one. And you're like, two weeks? Seriously? i got to come in and listen to this? And this was about, it was a construction thing. It was a civil case. But one of the things that you weigh when you're trying to assess what do we, what's the decision we make here as a jury is, is you weigh the value of the testimony of the people and specifically the character that sort of undergirds their testimony. Here's what the Bible says about God's testimony. Can we, can we know that, that what God says about the world is true and that what he testifies to us is true? Here's what it says. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's firm. It's established. That's what sure means. It's, it's rock solid. Matthew talked about that we're a mist, we're a vapor, but the word is, is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What God says to you about how the world works and who you are and who he is, it's sure. It's firm. It says it makes wise the simple, making wise the simple. Don't you need wisdom in your life? You face decisions and you face choices and you, God gives you opportunities and God, God brings certain things into your path and, and you go, what do I do? And you ask friends and you pray and you seek advice. What this says is that the scripture makes wise the simple. In other words, the, the, the way that you understand who God is and, and what's right and what's uh, commendable and what's enjoyable and what's good and what's best, if you understand that through reading and knowing God's word, then you can navigate life, even if you're simple. Do, do you know what simple means? It means foolish. Listen. 
we're a lot more foolish than we like to think, right? There's just a ton you don't understand and all the times you feel confused. And, and, and God forgive us for all the Christians that think they're so wise and that they got everything together, right? I mean, no. And yet what the Bible says here is that his word makes wise the simple. It will train you to think the, the best way and the right way. And not because you're so great, but because God's word is so sure. So God's word gives life. God's word gives wisdom. Verse 8 says this. The precepts of the Lord are right. That word right means level or straight. It's the idea of like when you are hanging a picture or you're doing some kind of construction. We were just hanging a thing in our garage that, you know, kind of holds our tools up, which is funny. I don't know who uses those tools, but we have them in case anyone wants to come over and use them. So... But you're hanging that thing, right? And, and you get, and now this, they have this on your app, right? Like an app on your iPhone. You get a level. A level. I mean, it's like, wow. That is so cool. Uh, you get the level and, and you're able to go, no, nah, up, 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 just, and then you go, ah, oh, ah, oh, just right. Exactly how it's supposed to be. Freeze, right, right, hold it right there. Here's what this says The precepts of the Lord are right, they're level. They're straight. They're just, just right. And they rejoice the heart. When you know who God is and you know what he cares about and you know the extent that he's gone to love you through his son Jesus Christ and and all that the scripture communicates to you, it brings joy. It brings real delight to know that God would love you like that and care about you like that. It gives life. It gives wisdom. The scripture gives joy. It says the end of verse 8, The commandment of the Lord is pure. Pure means bright or clear. It's the idea of there's no contamination. There's there's nothing in the way that makes it cloudy. I mean, don't don't you kind of go through life at times and you just... It's the same thing. That's the idea of cloudy and and I feel like I'm going through a mist. And where do I go? The, the, The scripture is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Oh, I know what to do. Oh, I know what's best. Oh, I know how to love this person that I never thought I could. The the, the scripture does that. It gives life. It gives wisdom. It gives joy. It gives direction. That's what enlightenment is, is is saying, oh, I know where to go. I know what to do. Enlightening enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean. That means flawless, very similar to the idea of pure. And it endures forever. So the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. This word is true. It's always been true. It'll always be true. This is not just the latest fad. This is not just the latest technique. This is not just the latest, wow, you got to see this. You got to read this. You got to... The Bible endures forever. And because it endures forever, it gives confidence There's confidence that you know what to do. I mean, how many times, even when you go, I think this is the direction I had, I I should have, I think this is what I should do. You're just not sure. And yet the scripture gives you confidence. Because you go, "If, if this is what the Lord says about how to handle this and how to think, then it's right. Because that'll never change. Everything around me will change. But the scripture endures forever. Then finally, the end of verse 9, the rules of the Lord. That word rules means the judgments. The rules of the Lord. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're faithful. They're trustworthy. 
And they're righteous all together. So this gives certainty. So just think about this. Look at this passage. Here's what this passage says about God's word. Is God's word gives life. God's word gives wisdom, joy, direction, confidence, certainty. How many of us would go, eh, I don't need that. No, I, I, got all the, I got all the life I need. I never feel down or discouraged. Oh, and wisdom, yeah, I, I, I know what to do. And, and joy, I mean, I, I'm just the most joy. I mean, at some point here we go, I need that. I need life. I need wisdom and joy and direction and confidence and certainty. We need that if we're going to navigate this world. It's too tough. It's too difficult without it. Let me give you some other descriptions of God's word. We'll put these on the screen here. Other descriptions of God's word. In Jeremiah 23, verse 29 says this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? The the scripture is like fire. It's like this heat that, that purifies and that cleanses. And when you hold yourself sort of in the flame of God's word, it helps you see what's really important. And there's moments, aren't there, where your heart is just hard and and you know what the right thing to do is, but you just won't do it. And it says here that the word of the Lord is like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. It's strong. And how many of us just need to be crushed again? You go, Lord, my heart's grown hard. My my heart is, is, is impenetrable. Break me, God. You know how he'll do it? Through the hammer. Of his word. Here's the next verse. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says that the word of God is like a sword. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit. Of joints and of marrow. And discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's a sword. It's sharp. It pierces. And I love that last line of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The scripture tells us the heart's deceitful and sick, isn't it? And I'll sometimes with my daughters, they'll do something that they shouldn't do. And I'll say, why'd you do that? And they they don't know. I don't know, right? And how many times do you go, why did I do that? They said that and then I said that back and why did I do that? Right? You ever have that moment? You have foot and mouth disease? Right? You know, why did I say that? I, what, what was I trying to prove? And what, uh, what, uh. The word of God pierces through that. And when you hold yourself up against the word, it, it pierces into your heart and judges your thoughts and intentions and helps you see, ah, that's, that's what's going on in my life. Here's what Psalm 119 says. If you ever want to just think passages about the scripture, think Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. Uh, interestingly, Psalm 119 is a whole chapter, longest chapter in the Bible, all about God's word. And here's what it says in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This is just what we're talking about, enlightening the eyes. You know, I don't know where to go. I can't see in front of me. I don't know what's my next step. The Lord, through his word, will lamp that and light that and allow you to see here's where I should go. So the word of God, 
Not only is it pure and right and clean and good and all these things, it's like a fire, it's like a hammer, it's like a sword, it's like a lamp, it's like a light. Here's one of the things that's most important about the Bible. Is the Bible produces trust in God. If you will read it, if you will hear it, if you will think about it, if you will study it, if you will meditate on it, if you will wrestle with it, it will produce in you trust in God. Notice, listen, I haven't at any point, nor will I today, say that you should read the Bible because it's right to read the Bible. That's a terrible reason to read the Bible. It's because I should. No, no, here's why you should. Because it brings you wisdom and joy and direction and confidence and certainty and because it builds your trust in God. Now, one of the things, I want to show you some verses here in just a moment. But one of the things you've got to see is there's places in the Scripture where an author or a couple different authors will say essentially the same thing, but they'll replace a phrase. And what that tells you is that these, these ideas are connected. So here's, here's what I want to show you is a couple passages here. And so the one on the left comes from Psalm chapter 1. Uh, it begins talking about that the, the, the person who's blessed is not the person who walks in the counsel of the wicked and sits with scoffers and on and on. But the person who's blessed is one who his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And here's the description of that person. The, the person who meditates day and night, here's what their life is like. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So you get that? Meditate on the law of the Lord, and you'd be like a tree planted deeply. Its leaf doesn't wither. It's fruitful. Now, Jeremiah says almost the exact same thing in terms of his description, but, but instead of saying the one who meditates on the word, the, the meditates on God and his word day and night, he says it's the one who trusts God. He says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. And then notice they're described the same way. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its root by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So a little bit longer explanation, but the same idea. Do, do you get the parallel there? The person who trusts the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. In other words, you're not trusting your intuition. You're not trusting just some advice somebody gave you. You're not trusting how you feel. I feel like this is probably the right... You're trusting the Lord. And when you do that, when you have real God-honoring trust in Him, what happens is that's what your life's like. You're like a tree planted by the water, right? I mean, do you just picture, we don't have a good picture of this all that much, other than even in places in the desert, when you're driving on the highway, you'll see like these big trees and you go, you know what, there's water there. And and the roots go deep. And even when the heat comes, they don't wither. Here's what this is saying. Do you know how you get that kind of trust in the Lord? Where does trust like that come from? Do you see it? It comes from meditating day and night 
on God's word. Now, now listen, the word meditate has just been hijacked so bad. Um, when we think of meditate, right, we think of like some sort of, you know, home, right? I mean, sit there, clear your mind, cross your legs, you know, get into some just crazy position and clear your mind. Don't think about anything. Just listen to the music. See your pain leaving. I mean, right? I mean, it's this very... Uh, mystical Eastern thing. The, the, the idea of meditation, what that word literally means in Hebrew is to mutter. It's like you go down to Mill Avenue in Tempe, right? And you see some guy crossing the street like... He's just muttering to himself, right? That's to mutter. And you're like, who's that guy talking to? And he's just talking to... You're like, he's having a great conversation, man. I'd love to be in on that. It, that's what that word means. The one who trusts the Lord, whose life doesn't wither when the heat turns up, but who bears fruit, that person is formed, is forged by muttering on God's word day and night, by chewing on it, wrestling on it, thinking about it, never letting it out of your sight or mind. Now, is that easy to do? Anybody here feel like, man, that's me. I just mutter, 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 mutter all day. No, I mean, we got to do all kinds of stuff. We got to create systems and create plans and, you know, put an outlook reminder that'll remind you to read the Bible and subscribe to an email. I mean, we got to do all that. But the reason we do it is because we want to be people who trust in the Lord and who bear fruit. Here's where I was thinking about going with this, uh, this message this week. Because I was thinking, you know what, I'm just going to do, because one, one of the things I love to do is to teach people how to study the Word how to study the scripture, how to get more out of it, and some, and some practices and some things to do to unpack and uncover the word. I've had in the last couple of months, some guys just come to me and go, hey, will you teach me that? I love that. That's like my, I, I totally dig that. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe that's just what I'll do here on Sunday. I'll just, I'll just do a thing on how to meditate on the scripture. And, and many of you would like that and that would be great and you'd find that helpful. But, but here's, as Matthew and I talked about it, we kind of went, you know what? I really don't think people, for the most part, people don't skip time with God and his word because they don't know how. It's because we don't want to. It's because we want other stuff more. It's because these things that are so important, like trust and joy and wisdom, in the heat of the moment, I mean, I'm just hungry right now. <laughs> I'm just sleepy and my kid's crying. And I mean, what, what am I supposed to do? And so what I want to do is just just cast for you and paint for you this vision of God's word that will hopefully stir in you some kind of hunger to go, that's what I need. I need life and I need wisdom and joy and certainty. I I need that. And then if you want to come to me and say, help me. I I want to study more of the scripture. I will be happy to help. I will meet with anybody. Uh, We'll set up a class. We'll do something if you want to do that. But, but, But if you want God in his word, that, that'll solve most of it. You go, oh, I'm not a good reader. There's never been more audio resources available at any point in history in the world. I mean, you can listen to the Bible in like 30 languages if you want. So it's there for you. Do, do you see how, how much you need it? John Piper has an article called Please Feed Me More, The Cry of Dying Faith. And in it, he essentially uses this illustration, the idea of a person that gets up in the morning and has a glass of orange juice 
and then goes off to work and doesn't eat anything all day. Then the next day, gets up, has a glass of orange juice, doesn't eat anything all day, and just does this over and over and over, just this quick little shot of nourishment, and then and does this until they drop, right? And he says that's how most Christians feed their faith. See, the issue here is not about God will be happy with you if you read the Bible, and you can go, aren't I a good boy? Aren't I a good girl? Don't I feel so healthy spiritually? That's not what it's about. It's about trust in the Lord. It's about that you are going to face situations this week that stretch you beyond what you could think. How will you respond? Will you respond with wisdom? Will you respond with confidence? Will you respond with certainty? All of that will be forged by your time with God in His Word. And if you just, if, if you feed your, if, if this is your glass of orange juice for the week, and you, and you look and go, my faith is withering. I'm not, I'm not able to stand under temptation. I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm reacting angry. What are you feeding your faith? Feed it. Your soul, your heart, it, it, it. Could it be undernourished, maybe? Feed it. Read God's word. Mutter on it. Listen to it. Write it out. Do whatever you have to do to get God's word in you so that you can know and enjoy him. See, the passage here doesn't just say, look at all these great things about God's word, but it says that there's some real practical things that come out of this. Look, uh, look back to verse 10. Think about just how, how good God's word is here. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Look at that. He says the, the word of God is like gold. But wait, wait, wait. Not just gold, fine gold. The word of God is like honey. It's sweeter than honey. Not just honey, but like the, the, the epicenter of honey, the, the honeycomb. That's God's word. And then he goes on in verse 12 and says this, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Here's what he's saying. How am I going to discern my errors? How am I going to discern the ways that I'm going that are not helpful and that are not good? How am I going to be kept from from sins, even sins that I wouldn't even think about and ways of dishonoring God that I wouldn't. And, and how can I be kept from being a person that says, yes, God, alleluia, all creatures on Sunday and then denies it all week with my life? How can I be that kind of person? By seeing that God's word is good and sweet and by tasting it and reading it and hearing it. That's how verse 14, the words of your mouth and the meditation of your heart will be acceptable in your sight. Not because God, listen, God doesn't have a clipboard with your name on it and like a bunch of checks that you're looking to get. Man, I got to get my Bible check for the week and my prayer 15 minutes a day check. And my, He doesn't work like that. God is relational. And so when you go to him and say, God, I want to hear from you. I want you to guide and direct me. That's, that's pleasing to him. That honors him. That delights him. Here's a question. Why is scripture so valuable? 
So it says all these things. It's so valuable. And there's gold and there's honey and it's, it's, it's just so valuable. Why? Well, here's the ultimate reason why the scripture is so valuable. The scripture is so valuable because it points fundamentally to Jesus. As I said at the beginning, it's 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, thousands of years, one message. The message is that God is a savior. And specifically, the message is that God is a savior through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what all of the Bible points to. There's a great passage in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus appears on this road to Emmaus. And there's these two very discouraged disciples. This is after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. But they didn't know that he had been resurrected yet. And Jesus shows up on this road. And and, and they're sort of um, kept from being able to really know who he is. They just think he's this guy. And he's going, hey, what's what's going on? What's the latest? And they're like, are you the only person in the world that hasn't heard about that that they killed Jesus? And he goes, yeah, what's going on with that? And, And they're discouraged. And they're despondent. They're going... How is it that the, that the sent Messiah could, could die and suffer? Like, that doesn't make sense. We were expecting a triumphant king, and we were expecting someone to crush the Romans, and he's supposed to suffer. And Jesus, there it says, opened up to them from the law and the prophets and the writings, everything about himself concerning how the Messiah had to suffer. So Jesus goes on the road, hey, let's walk. We're going to do a Bible study on the way. And I'm not opening to Romans. It hasn't been written yet. And I'm not going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not written yet either. I'm going to show you from the law and the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets and the writings, everything that points to me. And then at some point they realize, oh, that was Jesus. And and then they're reminiscing on what happened. Do you know what they say? Did our hearts not burn when we were with him on the road? You know why their hearts burned? Because the word of God pointing to Jesus is like a fire and like a hammer and like a light. And they saw that this whole thing is about Jesus, the suffering servant, the word of God made flesh who would die for the sins of his people. That's what they saw. Their hearts burned. Now here's the deal. Unless you know the scripture, unless you've read the Bible numerous times and you understand the threads and you understand the themes and you understand all the different pieces of it, it's going to be very, very hard for you to read, read it and see Jesus. You'll, all you'll be able to do is read it as sort of a moralistic thing. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And so one of the reasons that we should hunger for the word and not just the parts with red letters... But the whole thing is because the more we understand all of these themes, these themes of sacrifice, these themes of covenant, a lot of the themes that we're going to be talking about through this series, if we don't understand those, we'll never fully see how God's word points to Jesus. So read the Bible. Study the Bible. Mutter on it. It'll feed your soul. It'll give you trust. Listen, there's, there's one more very serious and very practical 
And for me right now, a very real reason why you need God's Word. Uh, last night we had the 80s party, and Molly and I left, and, and I, got a, I got notification that one of my good friends and his wife were headed to the hospital with their six-month-old son who had stopped breathing during his afternoon nap or evening nap, whatever that was. So I went to the hospital and I went in there and he had passed. We put him down for a nap, just like many of you will do today, just like I do with my kids every day. I went in to wake him up and nothing. And they're in there and they're heaving. They're sobbing. And these, they love the Lord. They know the Lord. They have their struggles and their ups and downs. They know him. And yet that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt like crazy. I mean, they, they are heaving in pain. And the question that I, at least one of the questions, I have so many questions walking away from that. And my heart breaks. One of the questions is, where do you go from here? What do you do with that? How do you make sense of that? How do you have any hope for a future? Where are you going to turn for answers? And listen, just now's not the time for all the answers, right? I, I didn't go in there with, let me, let me walk you through Romans 8.28. And this is just, I'm going to hold you up because you're about to fall and collapse on the ground. It's going to be that way for a while. And I'm praying that God would spare them from well-meaning idiots who say trite stuff the wrong time. But when you start to wrestle through those questions, where are you going to go? You're going to hopefully go to the only place that makes sense of all of that suffering and pain. To the only place that reveals a hope that all things will be made new and that sin and death will be no more, you're going to go to the Word of God. That's why you need the Bible. If you get to that moment and this Bible's not in you and you don't know the truth about how good God is, And you don't know the truth about how God never changes and how God's ways are not your ways, but they're higher and they're better. And you don't have a hope in Jesus. If you get to that moment and you don't have this in you, what will you do? This is how God's revealed himself. This is what gives us joy and wisdom and hope and certainty. Let's be people of this book. Agreed? Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you for your word and how you've revealed yourself to us, both in your creation and in this book. Lord, my heart is heavy right now for my friends. And I pray for them. And I pray that you would 
Comfort them with promises from your word that they have stored up in their hearts. God, I pray for us that we would be people of the word. God, that we would be people who mutter on it and delight in it and are held rock steady by it. Nothing is going to give us a pass on, on pain and a pass on suffering. All of us are going to taste that in some way, shape, and form, and it hurts, and we hate it. But your word tells us that there's a hope. Your word tells us that there's a future. Your word tells us that there's a day when it all will end. It tells us that because of Jesus. So we look to him, and we pray that you would sustain and guide and renew us in him through your word. We pray that in his name. Amen. Amen. We're going to respond. And we're going to respond to singing of God's great love and how he's revealed that to us, how he is the rock of ages who never changes. Um, we're going to do uh, a couple things a little different this morning. So let me just kind of tell you what, what's going on here. As a, as a way to coach you through the next few minutes. Um, you've got the white connection card, hopefully, that you filled out earlier. As you leave, um, go ahead and drop those in the tables um, or in, in the um, communion uh, boxes. Please feel free to do that. Uh, there's also going to be throughout the, the, gather, the rest of our gathering some people over your right shoulder in the back that would love to pray for you. Um, they're there. You can get up at any point during any of these songs, during anything we're about to do, and go receive prayer. They would love to pray for you and care for you. So please do pray uh, with them. We're also going to sing and, and respond with joy. Um, and then we're going to celebrate communion. Now, we're going to do communion a little differently today. Uh, communion is the, the bread which represents Jesus' body and gave to nourish and sustain us. And the cup that represents Jesus' blood that he poured out on the cross so that we could come to know God. And a lot of times what we do is we have you get up and we have you go and take communion. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to actually pass the communion elements. Uh, in this facility, we have the opportunity to do it a, a lot of different ways. And, and we want to just give you a moment, rather than getting up this morning, to just calmly reflect and to pray and to, to sit where you're at. And so our ushers, in just a moment, are going to come. And they're going to pass the communion elements. Um, if you're a follower of Christ, if you love Jesus, if you're trusting in Him, we invite you to celebrate communion. Take that bread and that cup. And if you're here and you're not yet a, a follower of Christ and you're not sure what that means and you're uncertain about communion, then, then don't, don't take it. Just let it pass by and, and take this time to reflect and to pray. Uh, you'll also have the little cups. Just hang on to those. You can throw them out as you, as you leave today. Um, but the ushers are going to come and they're going to they're pass these elements. Um, hold these elements, okay? Uh, when you get them, hold them. And uh, once everybody's served, I'll lead us through uh, communion together. Okay? So, ushers, go ahead and start passing that.